Man, I love this song. Kansas, Carry On Wayward Son, 1976. You know, I love music. Because music, when you're having a rough day or you're down, can just bring you back to this feeling of just feeling good. And I hope that after a wild week of election day that turned into election week that is now turning into election month, that just listening to this guitar solo right here brings a smile to your face and uh, maybe helps you relieve just a little bit of stress, which is exactly what I hope to do in this episode today. You know, I always say to my listeners, I say, reach out to me on social media or reach out to me, send a text if you know me personally, and I'd love to hear your questions. I'd love to hear ideas for future episodes or topics that you would like to hear about. And, you know, I've done a few episodes that have been in response to certain questions, but over the last five to six days, there is no question what people are interested in me weighing in on right now. And it's the voter fraud. Connor, what do you think's going on? I cannot tell you how many messages I have received from people, probably upwards of a hundred private messages of people basically saying, what do you think of this? Are you putting any stock in it? What do you think of Sharpie gate in Arizona? What about the surge of votes that were all for Biden that came in in the middle of the night for Michigan? What about all those dead people voting in Pennsylvania? Connor, what do you think? Well, today, I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. And frankly, I wasn't ready to talk about that on the episode I did on Wednesday, the day after Election Day, because I was still trying to process it. I was still trying to see, like many of you, where my head was at. And after thinking about this for a few days, I've come to a place that I feel personally really good about. Uh, Now, not surprising to you and staying very true to my brand, I find myself landing somewhere in the middle on this, but I think it's a healthy place to be in. And so I want to walk you through today this process of what I have thought through, where I have landed. Hopefully this gives you a little bit of peace as we go through this and kind of some guidance for how to handle conversations and you know your own reading of the news or watching the news over the next couple months, which are probably going to continue to be pretty crazy and confusing. Hopefully this gives you a little sense of uh, just feeling okay and not so stressed out. Now, with that said, this is a little more of an opinion-based episode. Uh, I'm going to tell you where I land here. You may disagree with me, and that is totally okay. Like I've said before, I have nothing to gain in convincing you to do anything. This is not a debate. I am not here to talk you into this. I'm not an influencer for the right or an influencer for the left. I simply find myself like many of you trying to wade through all that we're seeing right now, especially if you're on social media and you're seeing what other people are saying and are being sent to you. It's kind of difficult to find where you land. And hopefully by me talking you through my thoughts on this, 
it helps you out. And if you disagree with it, great. Can't wait to see you next episode. Uh, now, as we walk through that as well, I started today by playing that song, Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas. Now, I always, whenever I play another song, uh, you know, other than the uh, Stuck in the Middle with You at the beginning of the show, you know I'm going to tie that in somehow. And I'm not going to let you down again today. I am going to talk to you at the end of the episode. So please, please, please stick around to the end of this episode today because I'm going to tell you a story of of our nation's history that honestly isn't that well known. But the coincidence of the correlation between what we're seeing right now is fascinating to me. Uh, You know, I'd actually think a better word for this is it's a little frightening. And I think, you know, that lesson, that quote we've talked about before on this podcast, those that cannot learn from their history are doomed to repeat it. I think this is something we should know about. And, uh, you know, as I tell you this, we're going to talk about a story from 170 years ago that includes voter fraud or election interference, looting, rioting, and burning down a town, and retaliatory acts of violence against two different groups arguing about how an election went. It's crazy some of the similarities here, and I think you'll find it very interesting. So I'm going to talk about that at the end today. Um, So we're going to discuss my thoughts on voter fraud. We're also going to give a reaction to uh, Joe Biden's speech on Saturday night and the reaction to him being made the projected winner on Saturday. And then we were going to talk about that story of what has been referred to as Bleeding Kansas or Bloody Kansas. Uh, I know that that title just in and of itself and the title of today's episode maybe caught your attention. I think you'll love hearing about this. So before I dive into this, I want to just make one note uh, from more of a programming side of things, just about the podcast in and of itself. One, this is episode 32 thank you so much for listening. What I am blown away is by how many of you that have listened to all 32 episodes. That means so much to me. Thank you. As you know, uh, I started this just a little over three months now, and I have been on a routine of putting out two episodes a week. You know that I've alternated between a episode that is a solo podcast and an episode that is with a guest and that is an interview, and I've gone back and forth between the two. I've also told you that this podcast isn't going anywhere once the election's over. I've had some people say, oh, are you just doing this in an election year to help people through politics? No, 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 no. This isn't going anywhere. And it's also not solely about politics. I've made that pretty clear. But obviously, that's at the top of mind for everyone right now. And for all of us stuck in the middle, that's the thing that we want to talk about more than anything else. So obviously, that has been the major emphasis over these last couple months. But here is my plan moving forward. First off, I, for the next two months, so the rest of November and December, we've got the holidays coming up. I am going to back off the two episodes a week. um, And I'm also going to put a pause on the guests for right now. I am going to be putting out some intermittent episodes that are solo episodes that are reactionary to things that are happening and responses to questions that I'm getting a lot of from you. Um, But I'm going to hold off on guests till the first of the year. And here's why I'm going to do that. 
I'm going to come out in January swinging. I actually am starting to work on right now a full series of episodes that all follows the same theme that talks a lot of history, ties it into current day uh, issues that we're facing. And man, I'm so excited to share this with you. I'm not going to give anything away right now and it's all in development, but know that we're not going anywhere, even though we're going to get a little bit off our pattern that we have set over the last three months. So here's what you can do. First off, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast, whether you listen to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play, wherever it is, make sure to subscribe and also set your notifications so that you know when a new episode comes out. The other thing that you can do is, oh, by the way, if you're there, leave a review for me. That's huge. As we're starting to push this like season two of types, the more reviews and the more subscribers we can get, that helps me out so much. If you've listened to more than one of these and haven't left a review yet, please go do it. Uh, But the other thing that you can do is then follow the Millennial in the Middle social pages. Uh, We'll always give you episode updates and announcements there, but I'm also starting to fill those pages with more content. And then sometimes putting on some commentary that's in real time uh, that you may be interested in. So go follow those. And as always, keep sharing the podcast. I appreciate it so much. Enough for all those kind of announcements and getting started. Let's jump into this. Before I talk about voter fraud, let's talk about what happened Saturday with the uh, announcement of Joe Biden as the projected winner. The first thing I saw as far as the news went on Saturday morning was a tweet that came from President Donald J. Trump. And the tweet said in all caps, I won this election by a lot. And I read that tweet and I put my head in my hands like I so often do when Trump speaks or puts out a tweet. I'm like, oh, Donald, I won this election by a lot. What does that even mean? And as I'm thinking through this tweet he just made, I get another notification that comes through my phone. Joe Biden has won Pennsylvania. Joe Biden is the president-elect projected winner of the presidency, a projected winner of the election. It was so funny, the timing to me that, you know, 20 minutes before Donald Trump makes a tweet like that and all of a sudden Biden is being announced as the projected winner and celebrations are starting throughout the country and even the world. Did you see the clip of Paris ringing their church bells in celebration with Donald Trump's defeat or London? celebrating with fireworks? What 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 kind of world is like I was blown away by that, right? First of would you have just done that anyway? I, I was confused with that whole thought. But here's what I've got to say. I really liked Joe Biden's speech on Saturday night. Uh he stepped up. I thought he did a great job. He sounded presidential. He looked presidential, and while he may not be as eloquent and as much of an orator as like a, you know, Barack Obama or JFK or Ronald Reagan, there is a likability to Joe Biden that I think got him to the place he is today. 
He's a hard guy to really not like. He's got that folksy Scranton guy feel that just, I mean, how he ended his speech in just the ultimate like Joe Biden way by, you know, giving a quote of what his grandma said to him. One, I can't believe how many things he remembers that his grandma and grandpa said to him when he was nine years old. Maybe they're made up. If they're made up, more power to him. They're solid. But I loved when he said there, uh, he said, hey, his grandpa said, keep the faith. And his grandma said, no, spread the faith. I really liked that. I also like, obviously, what he's been saying for a while about the need to lower the temperature in our country. I don't care what side you are on. Everyone should be able to agree, agree with the need right now that we have in our country to lower the temperature a bit. Don't believe me. Go onto Facebook right now and just post who you voted for and watch what happens to your Facebook wall. I think we can all agree that our nation needs to take a deep breath, that our nation needs to lower the temperature, that we need to move on past this. And the Biden campaign, to me, said all of the right things Saturday night. But... I cannot make this point without pointing out the hypocrisy of the celebrations of kicking Donald Trump out. You're fired. I'm sorry, but you can't claim to be the party of love, peace, understanding, looking at each other as brothers and sisters and love one another while at the same time lining the streets as President Trump's motorcade drives by with middle fingers high in the air chanting F Trump. I'm sorry, but you just can't do that. Now, I know we're all emotional. I know that elections bring out this emotional side of us, but the parties that happened that were not pro-Joe Biden parties, they were we fired Donald Trump parties. To me, if I'm Joe Biden, call that crap out. If you want to put your money where your mouth is with all that, that needs to stop. Now, I'll tell you, I have a personal experience with this. I went to the inauguration in 2009. I've talked about this before. I was a Barack Obama fan in the election of 2008. Hope we can believe in. He spoke to the youth. I was excited about him. He got me excited. I was there at the inauguration. He gave an incredible inauguration speech. I was feeling so inspired. And as the inauguration ended, all of the people started to scatter, right? They're all standing throughout the National Mall and they all start walking to wherever they're going home. But what did we do as high school kids? Well, we ran forward. As everyone else was exiting out, we ran as close to the Capitol building and as close to the stage as we could get. And we got close enough to the point where we were really close to where the helicopter was that George W. Bush was about to get on to leave. So George Bush was the, ex uh, the exiting president. And we sat and watched him from right under the helicopter, get on the helicopter, go up and be taken off. And I remember being surrounded by all of these people with middle fingers in the air again profanities like crazy. F you, Bush. Get out of here. I hope you... Blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, wait, this was a great day. 
Barack Obama just gave this incredible speech. We just elected the first black president to the United States of America. This is a celebratory day. And what did George Bush do to you? Sure, maybe he wasn't the smartest guy in the world. Yeah, maybe he didn't do a good job handling Hurricane Katrina. Or there's different things you could pick out. But that's been our president for the last eight years. That's the guy that the day after 9-11 went to ground zero and with a Vodafone spoke to the first responders. He spoke to the firefighters and policemen in New York. And when they shouted, hey, we can't hear you, impromptu, he took that Vodafone and he yelled right back at him. He said, well, I can hear you. And the people that did this, they're about to hear us too. It's the same president that got up on the mound at Yankee Stadium a couple weeks after 9-11 and threw the first pitch, a dead strike over the middle of the plate to a nation in mourning, to a nation in fear, and looked terror in the eyes and said, nah, we're not going to deal with that. We're going to stand up to terror. That's that guy. He just finished serving our country for eight years. He jumps in the helicopter and our, instead of saying thank you, we say F you. No, that's not cool. And so just a little bit of caution here. If you are a Trump hater, which there are many out there, eh, just take, take a chill for a minute. It's okay. You're probably not going to have to worry about Donald Trump all that much anymore. Okay. Now, I realize I say that. And the problem with this argument and that little rant I just went on is that Donald Trump is a very difficult person to feel sorry for. It's hard to have a whole lot of empathy for Donald Trump. Why? Because you watch what he says and does all the time. He's the one that's in fight mode. He's the one that often creates a lot of the division and wants to make it me against the world. And so it is hard to look at him and feel bad for him. In fact, uh, for those of you that watch Saturday Night Live, I say that I, I love Saturday Night Live just because I love political satire. I love being informed. I think they've been in a little bit of a slump lately, but I thought they did something pretty funny that was just, it was so spot on on Saturday night of the feel of Donald Trump, in my opinion. So four years ago when Hillary Clinton lost the election and it was just such a shock and like New York City and the entertainment world was in mourning. I actually was in New York City over election day la uh, four years ago and seeing, I mean, you would have thought that we would have just had a terrorist attack again with how somber the nation was. We went to a Broadway show Friday the week after and the actors and actresses coming out talking about how, you know, basically America was just over. And I remember just thinking like, What's going on here? Anyway, Kate McKinnon, who played Hillary Clinton the entire election, the opening for Saturday Night Live, and if you watch Saturday Night Live, they always do that opening skit that ends with, live from New York, it's Saturday night. And Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, Kate McKinnon dresses Hillary McClinton, comes out with a piano and a spotlight. It's this really dramatic, somber scene. And she actually plays and sings Hallelujah. You know that song? Uh, oh, man. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That song, right? 
I heard there was a secret chord. That's what I was looking for, the first line. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. Anyway, and it's this real somber moment. She looks at the camera and says, don't give up. You shouldn't either. And the other night, what they did with Donald Trump, Alec, Trebek, or Alec Baldwin dressed up as Donald Trump goes over to the same piano, the same somber moment, the same spotlight, and Donald Trump is singing, macho, macho, macho man. And he's tearing up singing, I want to be a macho man. And I just laughed at that because to me, like there's part of that that's still Alec Baldwin playing Donald Trump is just funny. It's likable. There's something about Donald Trump that is just so Donald Trump and them just capturing him losing and being like, no, I want to be a macho man. I can't win. To me, that was just so him. So listen, even though he's a macho man, let's still, even though, you know, his biggest desire is he want to be a macho man. He may be a bit of a jerk. Let's still keep some respect there. Now, let's talk about the fraud. I, like you, went to bed on Tuesday night thinking Donald Trump was going to win the election. I woke up on Wednesday morning, and when I saw the trend of what was happening in Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, I knew it was over. I knew Joe Biden was going to win. Now, then all of a sudden we have all of the things that started coming in about the fraud. Now, the most disappointing thing that happened, and I mentioned this in the last episode, is that Donald Trump in his 2 a.m. speech on Tuesday night on election night came out and said, there's been fraud. They're stealing this. And my thought, like I said, was, hold on. We don't know that yet. That might be true, but you're in the lead right now. It's too soon to call fraud. And that really, though, isn't that surprising. In 2016, during the entire election, Donald Trump's line was, I will accept the results of this election if I win. That was 2016. And he won. He accepted the results. And then what has he said all year this year? He has said, the only way we lose is if they steal this. Well, here's the problem with painting yourself in that corner. What happens if slash when you lose? Well, then they had to have stolen it. And that immediately has to be where your mind goes. So three thoughts on the fraud, because guess what? I have read all the same articles you have. I have been sent all the same social posts that you have of the Sharpies, of the stolen votes, of the dead people, of the broken machines in Georgia. I also understand, wait, there was this red wave that happened with the Senate keeping the majority, the House picking up seats that didn't transfer over to Donald Trump. You mean to tell me that Joe Biden got more votes from African-Americans than Barack Obama did in 2008, 2012? Like, I get all of these points. But here's where I land on this. Point number one, both camps right now are talking about the need to protect a bedrock of American democracy. The bedrock of American democracy being uh, an election with integrity. Well, I, I agree with that. You know, the other side is, one side is saying that Donald Trump is trying to 
make your voice unheard and trying to make votes not count and doesn't want people voting. And Donald Trump is saying that they have interfered with the election and the fraud has taken away the integrity of that. I get that what both are saying and what both are trying to do. In order to do that, there's another bedrock of American democracy that I feel like we have to protect as well. And that is the presumption of innocence. Innocent until proven guilty. That theory, that mindset, that principle is ingrained in a free society. It's ingrained in America. And for my health and the nation's health right now, I feel that we should put ourselves in that mentality when it comes to the question of fraud. Innocent until proven guilty. Now, why do I say that? Because it's hard for me. There's no reason for me to just assume that fraud happened. Now, I totally want the fraud to be looked into. If there is widespread deceit and lying and, uh, you know, in a way to change the outcome enough of a ch- to cause a change of the election outcome. Yes, look through that. Look at every possible opportunity. Turn every stone over. But we have to do that from a position of innocent until proven guilty. It's what we believe in as Americans. Now, thought too, this then gives the burden of proof to Donald Trump and Trump's team. The same way that the Democrats said that Russia colluded in 2016, but Trump was the presumed winner. They then had the burden of proof to show that that happened and to cause a big change. That, that's then what took place. Well, now the roles are reversed. Donald Trump has the burden of proof. And here's what I struggle with. Something looking fishy or smelling fishy isn't proof. Something not fully making sense or not fully fully adding up, that isn't proof. And so here's what I feel a lot of us are faced with right now. I have had a lot of you and a lot of friends ask me over the last little bit, Well, do you think that the fraud really happened? And my answer is, I don't know. Now, I know that me saying that sounds like an unsatisfactory response, especially the fact that you've now listened for 20 minutes to this episode. You're like, really? All you're going to give me is I don't know. But here's where I'm going to take that. It doesn't matter what I think. I... I think a lot of us right now, like we want to, I've got people trying to see like, well, do you believe that the fraud happened? And again, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter what I think. Are there things that seem fishy? Sure. Am I interested to see if they can prove it? Absolutely. As are you. But I have to presume innocence until proven otherwise. Now, thought three is really, to me, why this thinking is so important. What is the messaging during a campaign? A politician goes out throughout the country and they say things like this. We need you. I need you. 
Your voice needs to be heard. You need to get out and vote. The decision is in your hands. It's up to you. So come to the rallies, donate, tell all your friends, share this on social media. And we're all turned into like, I think the best way I know how to describe it is like missionaries out there spreading the word of why we're going to vote this way. And we have all these political conversations and this is why we talk politics, right? Because we feel passionate about what we believe in and we want to make that known to the world. Here's the problem. That same type of mentality is still being, uh, is still being told in the Trump camp and to Republicans. We need you. We're in this fight together. Donald Trump fought for you. Now is his, now is your chance to fight for him. Join us as we stand together and fight this fraud. I'm sorry, but my work and your work is done. We voted and I am not on Trump's legal team. I was not a poll worker in Michigan or Georgia that watched fraud happened or that came with proof. I will be not be used as an expert witness to be able to see what happened in these trials. My personal opinions on fraud happening or not has no weight in the outcome. We are not going to in a month all get together and decide do you think fraud happened or not? Yes or no. And if more people vote yes, then we'll run it back. Do another election. Redo. That to me is where the fear is right now. Because all of a sudden we're staying in campaign mode and we're staying in this fight mode when there's nothing really for us to fight for. Now, I know to my conservative listeners, I know to my Trump fans, I've actually been accused by somebody like, oh, man, I really thought more of you. And you, you, you know, you're kind of you're letting it down. I'm like, no, you know, no, I, I'm someone that is just trying to live my life. And I don't need to go out, I mean, as a missionary and be spreading the word of fraud. Well, that worked really well. Not spreading the good word of God. We're spreading the good word of fraud. I think I'll end that thought on that. That's pretty well put. But folks, listen, let's take a deep breath. We are going to find out if there was fraud. And if it's proven, then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But from now on, I'm going to live my life with that opening song that we started with, Carry On. Carry On, My Wayward Son, which I think in a lot of ways is America right now. Let's keep calm and carry on. Let's move forward. Let's cool the temperature. Now, here's why that's so important. I told you at the end of the day that I was going to tell you a historical story at the end that was going to blow your mind. Here we go. I, I don't even know where this thought came from. A few days ago, I had this thought of like, Oh, this kind of sounds like bloody Kansas, but I got to be honest, I couldn't remember all the details. I've gone and studied it over the last couple of days and my jaw was on the ground as I read some certain things. Here's why I'm going to tell you this. I told you in episode 26 that I didn't feel our nation was on the verge of civil war. I felt that was extreme. I gave some of the reasons why, that it wasn't just one issue that was dividing our nation uh, and that it wasn't regional. We couldn't cut the country in half 
right? And I said, I, I don't think that's the case. However, I did draw some importance of the need for us to not be so divisive and not pick teams. Well, what's happening right now with this fraud argument is a little concerning because one, all of a sudden we could potentially have one issue. Who's going to be our president? And this whose side are you on type question. And to me, if there were enough evidence, if they went and proved it in court, that there was either one widespread voter fraud enough to change the outcome of the election, or there was voter fraud in several states and in those states that would change the outcome of those electoral votes to go to Donald Trump, which would change the outcome of the election. I think if that were to happen, that would be the worst case scenario for our country. And I think it would open the opportunity for something to happen very, very similar to what happened in the 1850s in Kansas. The other reason I played a Kansas song at the start of the day, Bleeding Kansas. Let's talk about it for a minute. The year is 1854, seven years before the Civil War started. And we all know that the big question behind the Civil War and the big reason of division was slavery. Now, this was the case since the Constitutional Convention. And honestly, at the Constitutional Convention, they knew that this was an issue that could and probably would tear our nation apart, but they weren't ready to deal with that issue yet. So they kept kind of pushing it to the side and getting by with a system of some states allowing slavery and some states not allowing slavery. Well, this became a big issue every time a new state was being formed, a new state was being admitted to the Union. And the problem here was not just would we allow slavery in this state, but every time you added a new state, you could potentially set off the balance of slavery mentality and free mentality in Congress and in the Senate. So think about it. If there were more people in the Senate that approved uh, of abolition and, you know, being a free country, and all of a sudden, there were four states added that were all pro-slavery. Well, now you have eight senators that are pro-slavery. You have all these congressmen that are now pro-slavery. It would set off the balance. So every time one of these new states would come in, this debate was brought to the forefront again. And nowhere more was this debate more controversial and more violent than in Kansas in the 1850s. In 1854, the Kansas and Nebraska Act was passed, which basically said that when it comes to Western expansion, we will allow the states themselves to decide and vote on whether or not they will allow slavery, the concept of popular sovereignty. So what happened with the state of Kansas? They were about ready to apply for statehood. They started having their first election, their first vote. Now, most people that lived in Kansas at the time were in favor of it being a free state. They were opposed to slavery. There were 1,500 people that lived in Kansas. So they go to vote and slavery, being a pro-slave state, wins the election. How did it win? Well, there were 6,000 votes cast. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, there were 1,500 people that lived in Kansas and 6,000 votes were cast. 
I know some of you are probably going, oh, voter fraud. That was, that's what happened in Pennsylvania. That's what happened in Michigan, right? Hold up. Here's what happened. There was a group of Missourians, people from Missouri that came over and tainted the vote. They came from Missouri and went and voted. They were poll wreckers and they were labeled as border ruffians is what they're referred to as that came in and tainted the vote and gave the election to Kansas being a slave state. And all of a sudden what then happens is the results of this election are completely disputed. They're two very distinct camps. And one of them feels that they were in the right. The other feels that they were completely wrong. They both feel totally justified in running their government. Two governments are actually set up and it creates this really this mini civil war. Now, what happens next? 800 pro-slavery Southerners decide that they're going to go to a town that is primarily held by these free state ideals, the city of Lawrence, Kansas, and they burn the city down. They riot, they loot the city, and they burn down the Free State Hotel. So, okay, now we've got two similarities to current day, right? We got our voter fraud, we've got our looting and rioting. Well, now watch what happens next. This isn't just happening in Kansas. This small little event that happens in Kansas is all of a sudden felt throughout the country. Now we go back to Washington, D.C., and there's a very famous and well-respected senator named Charles Sumner who is a prominent abolitionist. And he's giving a speech on the Senate floor about how bad things are in, Cong in Kansas at the time and the need to, you know, not work with popular sovereignty and that we need to just be a free country. As he is speaking, a congressman named Preston Brooks comes out of the audience with a cane, a metal cane, and literally starts beating Charles Sumner over the head attacking him repeatedly, causing brain damage so that Charles Sumner is never the same. And this all happens on the Senate floor with people watching. Think about how nuts that is. Imagine if you know, Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi was giving some speech on the floor and Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham popped out with a cane or a baseball bat and started beating Nancy Pelosi over the head. Yeah, that sounds really violent. It was that violent. It happened on our Senate floor. And this was where our country was at. They were so divided between these two mentalities, these two sides. And then what starts to happen? This mentality starts to be carried over into citizens that feel like, oh, we can be a part of this. There's a guy named John Brown who a lot of people, I mean, we look at John Brown now, he was on the good guys team. He was an abolitionist. He was for a free country, but he was a pretty intense dude. He didn't believe that slavery would be ridded from our country from a, you know, peaceful way of going about it. He said, there's going to be violence. There will be blood. And if I'm the one that has to shed this blood, I'll do it. When John Brown hears word of the attack on Charles Sumner and the, dis the destruction of the city of Lawrence when it was burned, his sons say that he just lost it. He just loses it. 
And he goes out with him and a few other people that are abolitionists. He goes to a place called Pottawatomie Creek in Kansas, a place that was a stronghold of these political leaders that believed in slavery and that were in the uh, pro-slavery government in Kansas at the time. And listen to this. They drag these government leaders out of their homes and just straight up murder them and leave their bodies in the water. Violently murder them too with broad swords. Kill them. John Brown becomes known for the rest of his life as Pottawatomie Brown. He goes into hiding and you don't hear much more about him until the raid at Harper's Ferry uh, that basically ushers us into the Civil War. This was about four to five years before the Civil War had begun. Now, here's why I tell you this story. Not to scare you. One, it's really interesting. I mean, someone, a senator on the Senate floor attacked with a cane. That's wild. But this is the danger of high tensions and rhetoric that is so divisive. But then when it comes to we need you to be a part of this fight with us, we need you to join. Because think about this. If this election were overturned, here is all too real of a possibility. There were going to be protests and looting and rioters if Donald Trump won. We knew that. Countries or cities throughout the country were prepping for it. If this got overturned, imagine those protests and riots now, you know, on crack, just totally, totally exaggerated what would happen to those types of riots. Well, guess what? We saw riots this summer, but the difference is those riots weren't against anyone. They were just to prove a point that they were unhappy with the way things were. Well, the change this time would be that now these riots have two opposing teams. Guess who will show up at these riots? The Trump train. You've seen the 90 mile train through Arizona and the 90 mile, you know, these Trump trains throughout the country pre-election. They'll be there. And guess what the Trump train has? Guns. It is all too real of a possibility in our country to see looters and rioters met by Trump supporters literally shooting them. Now, I said a while back, I didn't think our country was headed for a civil war. But if something like this were to happen, I don't think a bloody Kansas 2.0 is all that unlikely. Now, I realize this is kind of a depressing way to end this episode, but I do think it's important because sometimes history should be there as a wake-up call. I support the President of the United States. It is assumed that the person that is going to be inaugurated on January 20th is Joe Biden. I will never utter the words, not my president, no matter who it is. I will support that person and I will root for their success because I am an American and want to see this country be successful. Now, do I want to make sure that we look into fraud? Do I want to make sure that we can try to keep as much integrity in the legitimacy of our voting process and our democracy as possible? Absolutely. But I'm not on Trump's legal team. I wasn't a poll worker. At this point in my life, 
there's nothing that I can do. And there's no real benefit for any of us out there choosing to spread the good word of fraud. Yeah, I'm going to use that one more time. When you come up with something that good on the spot, you say it twice too. Anyway, I wish the best for all of you. I wish the best for us. I hope we can all take a deep breath. I hope we can all cool the temperature in this country. And it starts with us. It starts with individuals in our interactions, in our conversations, in our relationships, bringing the temperature down. And as we can do that as a nation, no matter who our leader is, it will be in everyone's best interest. Thanks for listening. And as always, clowns to left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. See you next time, everybody. Ah, good luck. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right.